Welcome back to Psych Your Crime. I'm your host, Nicole Mann. I just want to thank all of you for your support. I want to welcome our new subscribers like Alabaster of Shalom on Podbean and especially all of our new listeners in Britain where we blew up a little with our Halloween episode. Once again, those loyal Japanese listeners, thank you. We really appreciate it. Now, if you want to support us, give us five stars on whatever platform you listen to us on. It'll really help us in those ratings. And if you want to show us even more love, stop by our Patreon page. I'll put the link below as always and throw us some change. Now, this week, we're going to look into Bob Meehan and the group. There are a series of connected teen drug treatment centers that were denounced as a coercive cult in the early 2000s. This particular case carries a great deal of meaning for me since I'm a substance abuse counselor and family interventionist who happens to have a background in juvenile inpatient care. The counterproductive and harmful ways these kids were treated and that the way that their parents could allow them to be treated, sometimes even insisting they go into these programs, still fascinates me to this day. What makes this resonate even more with me is the fact that one of Meehan's groups actually held NA meetings in my high school at one point. Now, they didn't last long, whether it was because the school figured out they were a chaotic mess or not enough kids were interested, I'm not sure. But what I can tell you is it's not as weird as it might sound. My high school was rather progressive. We had a smoking section and a daycare for teen moms. So NA meetings weren't out of the ordinary. What was a big deal was that when I was a sophomore, a friend of mine just disappeared. We were told that she'd been sent away to Arizona for drug treatment and we never saw her again. She was kind of a wild kid and she did end up getting pregnant, but I never saw her do drugs. I don't think anyone ever saw her do drugs. So the fact that she was shipped away to go to drug treatment was a shock for us. And the fact that we just never saw her again. We'd ask about her every once in a while and we'd always be told she's still in treatment. Even two years later, when I was 18, she was still in treatment. Now, we're going to look into the hallmarks of a cult as many people have dismissed Bob Meehan's methods and Bob Meehan himself as a cult leader. And like I said, that this group is a coercive cult. We're also going to go through the history of Meehan and his programs. And as we do that, I'm going to explain how the tactics used are detrimental to drug treatment. Now, the traits that all cults have in common are things such as the group displays excessive zealousness and unquestioning commitment to its leader, even regardless of whether they're dead or alive. Um, they regard his belief system and ideology as the truth or as the law. They, any kind of questioning, doubting, or dissent are discouraged and in some cases even punished. Mind-altering practices such as meditation, chanting, speaking in tongues, uh, dehabiling work routines, they're used in excess and they serve to suppress doubts about the group. Uh, leadership dictates sometimes in great detail how people should act, think, feel, um, who they should date, what their job should be. Pretty much everything about their lives is determined by management, so to speak. The group is elitist. They claim special exalted status, especially for its leader, um, almost like they're a messiah. You know, obviously with religious cults, there are a lot of claiming that the leader is the new messiah. Um, the group or the leader uh, always claims that they're on a special mission. 
they have a very us versus them mentality, um, which usually causes wider conflicts with other people. Uh, Meehan had a very uh, us versus the man. Um, he would give speeches where he would tell the kids that they shouldn't fall into the white man system, which was pretty ironic considering he was an old ass white man. The leader is not accountable to authorities. That m very much falls in line with us versus the man. Um, you're not, um, I'm not accountable to the law. I'm not accountable to teachers. I'm not allowed accountable to um, oversight uh, commissions and things like that. The group teaches or implies that it is exalted, that its ends always justify the means. Um, it may result in you doing things that you normally would never have done or saying doing things that normally you believe are unethical. The leaders also induce feelings of shame or guilt in order to control people. And in the case of the group that we're looking into, uh, it was done through peer pressure which obviously teens are extremely susceptible to. Subservience to the leader of the group requires members to cut ties with their families and friends and radically alter their personal goals and activities from what they had before they were a part of the group. The group is preoccupied with bringing in new members, so recruitment is huge. The group is preoccupied with making money. Members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group and group-related activities. Members are encouraged or required or to live only with people who are members of the group. The most loyal members feel that there's no life outside the group. They believe there's no other way to be and they're often so afraid that they will not be able to succeed in life without the group that they never leave. Now, Meehan started the Palmer Drug Abuse Program in 1971 in Houston when he was recovering from drug addiction. He built a friendship with Father Charlie Wyatt Brown at the Palmer Memorial Episcopal Church. Father Charlie realized there was a need for supportive substance abuse recovery programs for young people and he decided that he had a very strong vision about how to reach young kids who were spiraling out of control on drugs and get them into sober living. Now, you need to understand that this was groundbreaking for the time. Teens and adults were often treated together, which is obviously a horrible idea as the issues that drive teens to use are not the same ones that drive adults to use. So for many of the parents, the idea of sending their kid someplace created specially for their needs just made perfect sense. And it made so much sense that Carol Burnett, legendary actor and performer, sent her daughter Carrie there in 1979. People Magazine even did a cover story on Carrie and her recovery and how the Palmer House helped her. But shortly after this cover story, 60 Minutes did a story as well on Palmer Drug Abuse Program. More specifically, their story was about Meehan and his controversial methods. Specifically, Meehan's my way or the highway mentality. In the interview, Meehan called all other programs Mickey Mouse. He came across as defiant and rude. And about halfway through the piece, Rather pointed out to Meehan that he went from basically a volunteer position to making nearly $100,000 a year. Now this is $100,000 a year in 1979. That's a lot of money. Much of that was coming from consulting for hospitals and Fortune 500 companies on drug addiction and how to fight it. Rather also brought into question the fact that Meehan was claiming an 80% success rate. 
When pressed about those numbers, Meehan claimed that it was just of kids who made it 30 days sober. Then when asked again if he had any type of statistics or proof or research, he went into a long diatribe about what does it really mean to be successful and by whose standards are you judging success. He even goes on a massive tirade against methadone, saying things like, you could put your kid on methadone and they might technically not be doing heroin, but you want a vegetable, you're going to get a vegetable. You might as well just go plant your kid in the garden. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Now, to put his claims to perspective about having a 75 to 80% success rate, even today, the most successful inpatient drug treatment programs have roughly a 60% success rate for heroin and a 40% success rate for alcoholics, but that's only with sustained aftercare, such as AA or therapy. While the rates for intensive, intensive outpatient therapy alone, like what made up most of the PDAPS program, is only 35% for both heroin and alcohol, as reported for the Center of Drug Policy in 2016. Rather, then goes on to point out that Meehan was taking consultant fees from the very hospitals he was referring teens to for inpatient treatment at $10,000 a kid. $10,000 a kid in 1979. Now, if you adjust that for inflation, it comes out to roughly $25,000 a kid for a two-week stay. That is super ridiculous. I, My program and programs similar to mine for adults, it's roughly going to be about half of that. So roughly about $14,000 for two weeks, but that's room and board and things like that. And I think in some cases it's even less than that. So that's just absolutely insane. Now, you also remember it's 79, so this was paid entirely by parents and insurance. And former members of the program even came forward to Rather and claimed that the program set them up for failure by making them entirely dependent on Meehan. And when he was confronted with these accusations, Meehan said they must be getting high and just need someone to blame for their failures, which is absolutely ridiculous. The negative publicity that was garnered by the 60 Minutes piece led the PDAP board to ask Meehan to step down. Then they cut all ties with him and his methods. Just a year later, Meehan opened a new program in San Diego called Freeway that was very similar to PDAP. This time, he opened what we now call long-term residential treatment centers. He called his a sober live-in center, or the Slick Ranch for short. Now, this was entirely for profit, and it took kids in as young as 12. One of the issues is that the clients were entirely referred by freeway staff, by outpatient staff. Now, while we at my own program do refer clients to adjunct programs under the same umbrella company, we also refer them to programs that provide similar, in some cases, identical services to ours based on the client's needs. So if the client feels that it's gonna be best for them to relocate to another area where we don't have an affiliated program, then we're gonna refer them to this other program because you know they may feel that if I move to another city, I won't be able to find a drug dealer and it's gonna be best for them. So we'd rather send them to where they get the kind of care they need than a sister program where they're, it's not going to be in their best interest. So yes, we may miss out on that payday by sending them to a different program, but that's not why we do what we do. We do what we do because we're trying to see them recover. And if someone not affiliated with us is the best 
program for them, it's the best option for them, then that's where we send them. Now, the other issues that this creates is that former clients had started to come forward and complain. So an investigation uh, was run um, by the California Licensing Bureau and they determined that Meehan was running an unlicensed treatment program. No one on his staff was certified in drug treatment and the program itself was not licensed. The California Department of Social Services ordered the freeway program and all of its affiliate programs, including the Slick Ranch, to end their operations immediately. Meehan filed an appeal and tried to retroactively apply for a license, but the board denied his request on grounds, and I quote, We found that Robert Meehan was not a responsible or reputable character in his dealings with us, end quote. Luckily for Meehan, the DA decided not to pursue criminal charges. But less than a year after closing Freeway, it reopened. But this time, supposedly Meehan was not involved. The new director was a former employee specifically selected by Meehan to run things. Meehan would continue to use um, the centers that he had across the country, um, use this uh mo with centers across the country where he would have former staff members open them and he would not be on any of the paperwork other centers include pathways in arizona cornerstone in colorado insight in atlanta and north carolina and crossroads in st louis Meehan's approach was called enthusiastic recovery the approach to substance abuse treatment for teens and young people is based in the belief that in order for substance abuse treatment to work for young people, it must be fun and it must feel good. Another piece of this approach is that you do things for the good of the group in service of others, so to speak. Now, let me explain what makes this problematic. Successful recovery relies on the individual to acknowledge things such as their resentments, their anger, and their pain. The process also places this process also places a large emphasis on personal responsibility. Now, none of these things are fun and it definitely doesn't feel good to acknowledge the pain that you've caused others or how dishonest you may have been when you are pursuing your habit. And yes, of course, it's painful because it comes with a lot of shame and guilt. And another piece of that is a large part of addiction is the fact that addicts are extremely driven by instant gratification. By saying that for treatment to work, it must feel good, you're feeding into this drive. It reinforces the idea that if I don't get what I want when I want it, or if things don't go the way I want when I want them to, then I quit, I give up, because I'm not happy. This is just the reality of working in substance abuse. People do this all the time. They threaten to leave or quit a program when they can't have their way, and they do this because they're counting on you being more invested in their recovery than they are. You want them to succeed, so you give in. But you can't do that because then they're not investing the time in themselves they need to. Now, the second piece is that helping others is a very large part of the NAAA process, but only after you have learned to take care of yourself first. This is why they ask you to refrain from being a sponsor till you've done at least five of the steps gotten a sponsor yourself and have read the NAAA text and become extremely familiar with it. This ensures that you've done some of the hardest, most self-focused work as things like a personal inventory. One of the most difficult steps in all of step work, one that also causes many relapses. 
Part of that personal inventory is being able to admit and accept painful things that you've been running from and can be the hardest and most devastating. Once you can take an honest look at yourself, then you'll be strong enough to guide others through this difficult process. By making the focus from the beginning, the idea that you need to put this entire group of other people first and look out for your fellow members, you once again feed into negative behavior that is counterproductive to long-term recovery. Now, another reason this can be an issue is that many young children who begin to use like ages of 11 or 12, they are put in a position where they serve as emotional band-aids for the adults in their lives, putting them in a caregiver role from a young age. When you take care of everyone else around you, putting yourself and your needs and your emotions last, all of your issues begin to pile up till they come out in the worst ways possible. The other issues, people struggling with addiction tend to be drawn to chaos. The worse things are around them, the less likely they are to focus on themselves and their own issues. So on one hand, you're reinforcing for some people whose addiction stems from always putting others first and being a caregiver, you're reinforcing that fact that their happiness is tied to their investment in others. Then on the other hand, you are giving people a reason not to focus on themselves and their own issues because they're so busy focusing on everyone else around them. Another problematic issue is Meehan's approach has no structure. There were only three rules, no fixing, no fighting, no fucking. Outside of that, anything goes. Don't want to go to school? No problem. We'll just tell the school and your parents it's detrimental your recovery. That is anything within the group, though. While it isn't a rule, you were taught to only hang out with winners. Winners being anyone who attended one of Meehan's programs. Losers being anyone not part of the group. So you have tons of kids just hanging out and attending loose group therapy. Part of what makes people successful in recovery is their ability to create structure in their life where there was formerly just chaos. By not providing structure so the kids could learn to create it for themselves, you're doing them a massive disservice. Now, one of the tools used by Meehan's program to break kids down was something called wedging. This consisted of large citywide gatherings of kids who would stay up for a minimum of 24 hours and were hopped up on caffeine and adrenaline. I definitely called that mind altering. During these, they would have something called a round robin or a mass group therapy session. Sleep deprived and in front of tens and sometimes over a hundred other kids, they would then be asked to open up and share some of their most personal stories and issues. Many former mothers and counselors have stated that a large portion of the stories shared during these round robins involved sexual abuse. To this day, None of those stories shared have ever been reported. Then there's the staff, many of whom are former clients, some becoming recovery assistants as young as 18 and fresh out of one of Meehan's programs themselves. They would then be responsible for determining who met admission criteria. Many former staff members have come forward stating they were trained to diagnose everyone with general substance abuse disorder. Even worse, they were told to tell parents that children with behavioral problems, it would just be a matter of time before they turned to drugs. So they might as well send them to one of the programs so that it would be like preemptive drug therapy, which is just absolutely absurd. 
In 2005, it was determined in Tucson, Arizona, that the Pathways Program was allowing individuals without proper training and certifications to work as counselors. Staff members came forward and admitted they had been forging their credential paperwork. Then, a whole nother issue is Meehan himself. He's an antagonistic narcissist, and he can be described as inflammatory at best. Other people called him a racist homophobe. After watching several hours of him, I can say with all honesty, he's a self-important blowhard, to be polite. He's always selling his program. He's always trying to get people to bring other people in. What made me angriest in all of the footage that I watched of him was a session where he was telling prospective uh, parents about the program. And here's this man just screaming at these parents and denigrating them and belittling them. And it's just awful. He's telling them that other programs make excuses because they don't know how to motivate their kids. It's just ridiculous. I've seen many a highly motivated person relapse because they aren't doing any of the work on recovery tools like coping skills or relapse prevention. And doing family um, interventions, it's just disgusting to see this. I deal with people who are, you know, they're desperate. Some of them are at the lowest point that they've ever been. They're trying to anything to get their kids back to who they used to be. And it would never, ever cross my mind to scream at these people struggling and blame them and shame them and guilt them into uh, coming to me for help. I, I would never have the balls to do something like that to these people. It's just cruel. And I, I just, it made me the maddest out of all the footage that I saw of him. Because you could see the fear and the pain on these people's faces and it was awful. Now, it's, it's really easy to see why his anti-establishment rhetoric was appealing to kids. You know, after being told their parents suck and adults don't know what they're doing, they feel empowered. They feel like somebody finally gets me. Somebody's on my side. And it's bullshit. It's totally ridiculous. You know, there's videos of him leading kids in chants of the N-word and telling them that, oh, being gay is just a symptom of your addiction, which is bullshit at best now the group was obviously not inclusive when Meehan was at the helm former staff members have admitted that they were encouraged to turn down black and hispanic patients even worse was how Meehan treated people who chose to leave either because they outgrew the program or they just wanted to move on to a life that didn't entirely revolve around recovery anymore one kid said that he was told by Meehan directly that he would die in a ditch with a needle in his arm. Several have stated that they were told they couldn't survive without Meehan, they wouldn't be able to navigate life without their programs, and this went beyond the clients and extended to staff. David Larson, a former staff member, was encouraged to leave his wife because she left Pathways to work for another program. He did listen and separated from her and came to regret it. He was ostracized for questioning the reasoning behind their coercive tactics, and he eventually quit after being accused of sabotaging their program. He was told that he was messing with the group, and the group is the spiritual center of their program, which in NA and AA, spirituality is what you make of it. It may be God for you. It may be Buddhism for another. It may be the universe for someone else. It's not dictated to you what your spiritual center is. Now, with 
Meehan reportedly retired in the mid 2000s from having any hands-on capacity of work within the network of treatment programs. Things are now being run by his son-in-law, Clint Stonebreaker. And much of the rhetoric and um, hatefulness and controlling has died down since his departure. A lot of the coercive nature of the methods hasn't changed, trying to get the kids to rely solely on them. There are Reddits, Facebook pages, and websites dedicated to survivors of Meehan's group to connect and share their stories and experiences, both good and bad. Now, obviously, addiction is a serious issue that touches the lives of the majority of Americans in this country. So if you or a loved one is suffering, I absolutely encourage you to reach out for help. Something that's changed quite a bit um, in recent years is the substance use disorder community is working very hard to relieve the stigma and the shame. Um, because people don't realize that there is a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is when you feel bad about something that you've done. Shame is when you feel bad about who you are. And we're trying to make it so, yes, you can feel bad because you have a conscience about things you've done in chasing your addiction. But we don't want you to feel bad about who you are as a person. We want you to have self-worth and self-esteem. Um, another thing that's changed is it's no longer just NAAA there's other alternatives um, many people struggle with spirituality it's something I see on a daily basis when you've been through a very traumatic life a lot of people feel like they've been abandoned by God so there's options like smart recovery and like I said before where your spirituality can come from anything it doesn't necessarily have to be from God um, smart recovery is a program that focuses more on the self-work um, part of the steps there's also intensive outpatient programs, peer-to-peer -peer programs, one-on-one -on -one therapy. So there's many different avenues to reach recovery. Um, now, um, the professional community is more about helping you figure out what is going to work for you. The, even the intervention process has changed. We now have what I do, which is family intervention, where we work with the person with the addiction issues, their family, anyone who is invested in their recovery, um, we give them the tools they need to support them without enabling or engaging in behavior that assisted the addiction, help them set boundaries. It is not a one-time thing. It is a process that uh, goes on for a minimum of six months. Uh, what we really strive is that you're only as sick as your secrets. So you know, there's stuff that's that's down there hidden that needs to be worked on and needs to be gotten out. And another big thing is nothing changes if nothing changes. So when a client comes in inpatient, the first thing I ask them is, what can you do different from the last time you were in recovery? What can you change that's going to help you be successful? So it really is a process that's about change and growth. And that's some of the things that are new and different and that have changed in like the past 10, 15 years of recovery. And I would really, really, really suggest that if you are a loved one is suffering, please reach out. You can call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Helpline at 800-662-HELP. They, can, uh, they are professionals and they can help you find services in your area. But please, you don't have to go through this alone and you don't have to be ashamed of what you're going through.
Now, I really appreciate you listening this uh, week. Like I said, this means something to me. I'm very passionate about substance abuse. Um, and I'm really glad that I could share my uh, opinions and what I know about recovery with you. So I hope to see you again in two weeks when we are going to look into the case of the Moores murders in Britain. Until then, I hope you sleep better knowing the how and why people can do such awful things.